Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 13 of Therapy for Humans. So I'm recording this on Monday, yesterday. Yesterday in your world, today in mine. It's kind of a mindfuck. Anyway, today, Monday, is Martin Luther King Day. I don't want to get into too much of a political rant, but I have to say that the images and the video of that little fucking white boy with the MAGA hat, with his shit-eating grin, getting in the face of a Native American elder, taunting him, challenging him, Man, I know that look. It was a look on the faces of the boys in school who used to beat the shit out of me. Now, I'm a white man, and I try hard to understand all the privileges that come with this, and I certainly do not want to put out there even for a second that I know anything about what it's like to be anything other than a privileged white man. That having been said, when I was growing up in my completely white middle-class community, Since there were no obvious outward differences between us all, more subtle differences were sought out, and when they were found, they were exploited. So I was a small kid, I was sensitive to loud sounds, I wasn't into sports, you get the picture, you know where this is going. So when those alpha boys came after me, when they were able to corner me in a hallway or a locker room, the face they had on, their expression, the demeanor, was the same as this kid that I saw photos of this weekend. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because we need to understand that that face, especially on such a young person, is the face of someone so secure in their superiority that they feel justified in whatever action they're about to take. And there's nothing more dangerous than a teenage boy whose frontal lobe has not developed fully to feel like there are no consequences for their actions. I imagine it was the face of many a Hitler youth, It was very likely the face of a younger Donald Trump. It's the face of a Brock Turner, that privileged little Princeton fuck who thought it would be a good idea to rape an unconscious girl behind a dumpster. Remember him? Let's not forget him. He served six months in jail because the world, because the judge worried that anything more would have had a severe impact on his future. His father wrote a letter on his behalf saying that he should not serve any jail time at all because, quote, that is a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action. Where do you even begin with shit like this? How can we bring some sense of sanity back to our country? Did we ever even have it to begin with? I don't have any answers, but I do hope that anyone who behaves like this continues to get photographed and called out, and I hope that exposure has serious consequences for them when they look for jobs, when they apply to colleges, when they attempt to date other people. I hope that one outcome of everyone having a camera in their pockets is that the light gets shown on this kind of behavior. You may have seen Gillette's new ad that they were going to unveil the Super Bowl. It's a toxic masculinity thing, you know? So this ad challenges men to look at their behavior towards women as well as other men. And it's a pretty decent two minutes. And there's certainly nothing in it that any decent human should take issue with. But sure enough, we had legions of guys swearing off of Gillette products forever and saying that men should be allowed to be men, whatever the fuck that even means, and imploring the company to stop jumping on man-hating bandwagons. 
So there it is again, this outrage that anyone would dare to question the actions of men and boys, even when the actions they are questioning is violence against other men and boys. We're going down a very dangerous road here, folks, and we need a radical shift. There are a number of strong women of color that are making important political strides. Some are running for president. I'd like them to be taken seriously, and it's up to us to demand media coverage that speaks to the leadership qualities of these women. Mother Jones Magazine is a serious, like, leftist feminist publication. And they started their recent article on Kamala Harris, who is a U.S. senator of California and just announced her run for president. They started their article by saying, Dressed in a cream-colored blazer and black pants, a double string of pearls circling her neck, her softly highlighted dark hair quaffed just so, Kamala Harris is on a fact-finding mission. What the actual fuck, Mother Jones? I don't even know what to say about that. Can we stop talking about what political women are wearing and start talking about what they're fucking saying? I don't even know, again, like where to go with any of this. I think we have a pretty good picture of what male leadership looks like, and I think we desperately need to turn the keys over at this point to some of these strong and capable women. Not just because they're women. For the record, I didn't vote for Hillary. And I didn't vote for her because she's part of a dynastic family system that we need to get the fuck away from in this country. She gave a speech one day in which she said, it's my turn. It's my turn to be president. Now, she may have meant that it's time for a woman to be in power. I get that. I agree with that. But at the time of this speech, we had had a Bush and then a Clinton and then a Bush. So it sounded very much like it meant she meant it was her turn because of the seesaw of dynasties that we had going on. We need to stop the cycle of privileged families rising to power simply because they can afford to stay in the race. We need to take the measure of each other based on our actions, not the color of our skin or the gender we identify with or who we like to fuck. There's a woman in town here who told me in a group discussion about feminism one day that I could not call myself a feminist because I'm a man. If you're listening, you know who you are and you're part of the problem. We need to rise above this entrenched bullshit. We need to stop elevating ourselves by stepping on the necks of those around us who want to help. We need to be willing to step back from our privilege in order to see what might come next. Fuck. The country we save could be our own. Okay. Well, thanks for indulging me on that rant, which I said at the beginning I wasn't going to do, and then and I did it. Okay, let's move on to some emails. Okay, so this person says, My parents have been divorced since I was a child. My problem is that my mom passively, aggressively guilts me for spending any time with my dad. Their relationship was awful and unhealthy in so many different ways, and I know my dad was not always kind to my mother. I want to have a relationship with my dad, but I don't want that to hurt my mom. I can't be the only one dealing with this, right? So, thanks for your email. No, you're absolutely not the only one dealing with this. Too much of the time when there's a divorce, with or without remarriage, some members of the family try to manipulate other members of the family to get on their side in one way or another. Often this dynamic doesn't really shift much when we become adults. But here's the good news. You are a grown-ass woman, and you get to decide what kind of relationship you are going to have with every member of your family. It's not easy to shift these dynamics, And when you push back on the way things have always been, some people are going to get threatened. Especially if the way things have always been has been working for them, and now you want to change that. Usually the way through this is to listen for what's not being said. Your mom feels like she was treated badly by your dad. 
when you spend time with your dad, mom gets mad at you. I'm guessing she may even accuse you of not being a good daughter or not being a good woman because you are disregarding the horrible ways he treated her. What I hear in there is your mom saying, don't choose him over me. I don't want to lose you. I don't want him to turn you against me. I don't want him to hurt you the way he hurt me. So you need to have a heavy conversation with your mom. Make sure she knows that you understand what she's been through with your dad. Validate the shit out of that. But he's still your dad, and if you want to have a relationship with him, you get to have that. And make sure that she understands that your relationship with him doesn't look anything like the relationship that she has with him. That spending time with him doesn't diminish your experience of her. It's also a good idea to set ground rules with both of your parents. The most important one being, I will not listen to anything you have to say about your ex-wife or ex-husband. This is key. You cannot be their confidant for throwing the other one under the bus. And it's up to you to lay that law down and make sure you stick to it. If this is a, if this is a departure from the norm, then there'll be an adjustment period. But at the end of the day, this should help your mom feel more comfortable around you spending time with your dad because she will trust that you will not be listening to him trash-talking her. So you need to be really clear with her that you do have and will continue to pursue a relationship with your father, and that is your call to make. Her issues with that do not belong to you, and you can and should refuse to take them on. Good luck. Okay, so our next email is about holiday gift giving. This is probably the last of our holiday emails. So... They say, my partner's mother goes all out for Christmas, i.e. an insane amount of presents for the sake of having a picturesque pile of gifts under the Christmas tree. She's incredibly generous, and I'm grateful for everything she does. My problem is that she gives a lot... Uh, uh, sorry, let's see. My problem is that she gives us a lot of shit that we don't need. Like, at all. It's stuff that just piles up, can't be used, and we're obliged to keep it because it's a gift. There's a lot of reasons we don't need all this crap. It's wasteful, it's instant clutter, etc. But it's an impossible subject to bring up to her because she loves Christmas. Christmas has passed, thank goodness, but do you have any recommendations to gently plant the seed that we don't need a ton of presents next year? Okay, so yeah, this can be a tough one. But similar to the last email, it comes down to recognizing that you are an adult and you get to structure your life the way that works for you. It also means having a real conversation where you do everything you can to validate where your parent or parents or in-laws are coming from and why this is important to them, while also being clear about what, what works for you. So you said that she loves Christmas. Is gift-giving the only way she can get her fix around that? Can you set up some scenarios where she buys gifts that get donated or... I don't know. I mean, the bottom line here is that you can put out there, maybe sooner than later, that next year you want to shift the gift dynamic. And then follow that up, you know, as the holidays start rolling around next year. So you're kind of reinforcing that. So maybe make some charitable, charitable donations or do a secret Santa thing where everybody buys just one gift for one other person. She probably won't like that because it sounds like how Christmas morning looks with mountains of gifts is important to her. So is she capable of having a conversation where you get curious about what that's about? What did Christmas look like for her when she was younger? What does she get out of the process? Is it the buying or the gifting that really makes her happy? Again, you're an adult. You get to shift what doesn't work for you. Figuring out what it is exactly that gives her that Christmas fix is key because you may find ways to help her get that in ways that don't impact you in a negative way. 
I also don't really agree with the idea that you have to keep everything that someone gives you. If she is giving mountains of stupid shit every year, she probably won't remember most of those items by March. So it's okay to purge. It's okay to purge stuff. It's okay to purge people. Purge that shit. Make room for what you want. Make room for what serves you. Okay, so it's early in the new year. I've had a lot of clients and just people in general talk about New Year's resolutions. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. Why, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Because often they are radical departures from what you're currently doing, and in general, radical change does not end up being lasting change. You might hang in there for a month or two, but sooner or later, chances are you'll slide back to whatever it is you're doing now that you're unhappy with. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't bother changing behaviors that you're not happy with. I mean, I'm a fucking therapist. It's kind of my jam to help you do exactly that. My cautionary note here is twofold. First, make sure the things that you're implementing are really doable over the long term. Set yourself up to win. If you're too ambitious and you throw in the towel, then you didn't get to where you want to be. And now on top of that, you feel crappy about yourself because you didn't succeed. So incremental shifts towards your goals are much easier to achieve and more importantly, much easier to keep up with. The second part of this is to have some compassion for yourself and whatever it is that you're not happy with. Understand that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing that you want to change, there's probably a reason why you're in that place, why you're doing the thing you're not happy with. So spend some time with that and see if you can trace the path to this place back from where it started, because if your behaviors have come about as a reaction to something else, you won't make much progress until you work with that something else, whatever that is. So be gentle with yourself around this and motivate yourself through positive self-talk rather than berating yourself for being a fuck up. Find that line. And my clients who listen will be able to say this with me by now. Find that line between having compassion for yourself around wherever it is you are right now and those times when you need to kick your own ass into gear to affect change. And the other thing I always say about this is that it is a moving target. So maybe today you need a kick in the ass to get you to do the thing, but tomorrow maybe you just need a hug and permission to not do the thing. Only you can figure out which is necessary in the moment. So trust that. Take a deep breath and move on. Every day is a new day. We could, I could just fill up podcasts upon podcasts with happy little platitudes and blow sunshine up your ass. But the reality is that if you fucked up today, you do get another chance tomorrow unless you die. But generally tomorrow you get another chance. So be careful about how hard you're coming down on yourself. Well, that is our show for this week and for next week as well. I guess we're doing every two weeks now. If you'd like to get something on the show, if you have a question you need help with or just a comment on some of my rants and ramblings, it's all welcome. You can email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. You can also give me a call at 1-844-387-2646. That's 1-844-Durango. And once again, that is a voicemail-only line, so don't freak out about anybody picking up the phone. If you'd like to see me live and in person for therapy, I am accepting new clients, and you can reach me at 970-903-3893 for that. You can also visit www.durangopsychotherapy.com. I hope you have a great couple of weeks. Until I see you again, take care of yourself and take care of each other. <laughs>